Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13. Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 13. We're taking a little break from the book of Hebrews that we've been working through this year. And we'll come back to Hebrews, but we're going to look at a little text this morning that deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you to Brandon. Thank you to our singers, our musicians this morning. Did a fantastic job of leading us in worship. Well, it is Resurrection Day. This day is the greatest, most joyful day on the calendar for Christians because this is the day that we celebrate King Jesus raising from the dead, walking out of the tomb, and in the process, defeating sin and death forever. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus is alive today? And because he lives, all of those who put their faith in him have the promise of eternal life as well. And that is something to be happy about. Those of us who know Jesus, we are happy today. We have joy in our heart because we serve a risen Savior. Having said that, there may be some here today who are exploring the Christian faith, who are unsure about the resurrection, who wonder if it really happened, if it's really that important, and if it is that important, what their response should be. And if that describes you, we welcome you today. We're glad that you're here, and my hope and prayer is that the Word of God might answer some of your questions today, and as a result, that you might leave here this morning believing in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that you have eternal life in his name. Now, before we get to our text, I want to establish some context and give a little background. And to do that, I just want to quickly use a little illustration of an Easter egg hunt. One thing we've done with our kids through the years is hide Easter eggs on Sunday afternoon after church and We used to use real eggs to do that until uh, one year it was raining and we decided we would hide them inside and there was one we didn't get. (laughs) And we started smelling it shortly thereafter. Uh, Since that time, for the most part, we've used those plastic eggs that uh, you can put the little trinkets in or a little piece of candy and then somewhere along the way, and I'm going to blame this on grandparents, dollar bills started being put into the eggs, and then occasionally $5 bills. And boy, you talk about incentive to find eggs. No rock was left unturned. Uh, My kids searched every nook and cranny until they found those eggs with the money inside. You can be guaranteed of that. Now, here's the tie into today's sermon. Sometimes we think that finding God's will for our life is like hunting for Easter eggs, that we have to hunt over there and look over here and pick up this rock and peer under this bush and go on some wild odyssey or long pilgrimage to determine what it is that God would have us to do. And the fact is that it's much more simple than that. That's what our text today teaches us. The context for this morning's passage goes all the way back to ancient Israel in the days of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, as Moses nears the end of his life, he tells the Israelites that if they will obey the commands of God, that if they will turn to God with all of their heart and soul, he tells them God's blessing will rest upon you. Now, isn't that a wonderful promise? And that's true for us today as well. 
There's a principle we find in God's word that as a rule, God's blessings follow obedience. And then perhaps anticipating the people's response, Moses continues and he tells them, you don't have to go on a wild goose chase to find God's will, to determine what it is that he would have you to do. Moses tells them in that passage, you don't have to ascend into the heavens to know God's commands. You don't have to get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea. No, Moses told the people, the word is very near you. It's already in your mouth and in your heart that you might do it. Well, what did Moses mean by that? What did he mean that the word was already near them, even that it was inside of them? Well, Moses had given the final 40 years of his life to lead the children of Israel and to teach them God's law as it was delivered to him. So Moses knew that the Israelites already had all the knowledge that they needed to do God's will. They just needed to obey what they already knew to do. And isn't that the case so often for us as well? Now, fast forward a couple thousand years and we come to our text today. We're no longer in ancient Israel, but we are in the heyday of the Roman Empire. The time is about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a man named Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, is being used mightily of God in taking the gospel into southern Europe, making disciples of Jesus among the Gentiles and starting new churches in places that the gospel's never been. At this point in his ministry, Paul's been many places in his journeys, but he's never been to the epicenter of the empire. He's never been to the capital city. He's never been to Rome itself. Nevertheless, there is a church at Rome And Paul learns of this, and so Paul writes them a letter, what we know today is the book of Romans, expressing his desire to come to them soon and and meet them in person, but also in the meantime, teaching them some of the great truths of the gospel. In chapter 10 of this letter, where we pick up reading this morning, Paul's doing exactly that, and he's addressing the topic of how we as humans can obtain God's righteousness. Let's pause right there and ask a question. Why do we need God's righteousness? Well, primarily because we have no righteousness of our own. The Bible teaches that both by nature and by choice, we're sinners. We naturally rebel against God's law. You don't have to teach a little child to lie or to cheat or to steal. It comes naturally to him. From the earliest age, we do what we have to do to get what we want. That's sin. And sin poses a big problem for us because God is holy. And he cannot and he will not abide the presence of sin. Thus, if we are to have any hope of living with God for eternity in heaven, we must somehow be made righteous. Our sin must somehow be dealt with and paid for, and cleansed. Well, how does that happen? That's what we're going to talk about today. And as we begin reading, you're going to see the Apostle Paul reference this Old Testament story that we talked about at the beginning, with Moses telling the Israelites, you don't have to search here and there and everywhere for God's will, because it's already in your heart. It's already up on your tongue. 
So let's read and we'll begin to connect the dots between these two passages and see how they relate to one another. Paul's speaking here in chapter 10. And remember, the topic is how we obtain God's righteousness. Let's start reading with verse 6. It says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. All right, now he's getting ready to quote Moses, and that's in italics in a lot of Bibles because it's a quote from the Old Testament. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And we'll pause right there. Again, Paul's talking to the Romans here about how they can obtain the righteousness of God. Now, the fact of the matter is, he's already taught them quite a bit about this earlier in this letter. Uh, For example, in Romans 3, he tells them, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, he tells them, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6, he writes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 8, Paul assures them, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's already told them all of these things, all right? So we're kind of getting in in the middle of the lesson. But the bottom line to everything Paul has said to this point in the book is this. We obtain God's righteousness through Jesus. Now, men are sinners, right? We deserve eternal death, is what the scripture says. But Jesus came to die in our place for our sin, proving that he was the Messiah by raising from the dead. So that if we turn from our sin and put our faith in him, he will save us and he will give us eternal life. How many here believe that today? Everybody awake so far? All right. Now, what we see in these verses in Romans 10 is that there seems to be some confusion among the Romans as to where they find Jesus or perhaps as to how they put their faith in him. And this is why Paul in verses five through eight quotes the words of Moses from thousands of years before. And this is basically what he tells them. Look, Jesus isn't hiding from you. It's not like you have to ascend into the heavens to find Jesus. It's not like you have to descend into the abyss, the lower parts of the earth, in order to bring Jesus back from the dead. Good thing because he's not there. Amen? The point is, you don't have to go on a wild goose chase to find Jesus. You don't have to hunt him to find him. As Paul tells the Romans in verse 8, he is already near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. Here's what that means. And here's what everyone in this room this morning needs to understand. Jesus is always near to those who call on him. 
always. When we repent of our sin and believe upon Jesus and confess him with our mouth, he'll come immediately and he'll live in our heart. He turns no one away. In fact, the scripture says that he is the one who pursues us. Once Jesus is in our heart, what Christ himself taught us in the gospels is that what comes out of our mouth is an overflow of what's in our heart. Luke 6 says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it follows that if Jesus is in our heart, it will only be natural, natural, that we confess him with our mouth as well. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If Jesus is in our heart, we'll want to tell others that he is our Lord. If Jesus is in our heart, we'll not be ashamed of him. We'll be speaking of him to others. This is what verse 9 says in chapter 10, or what it means when it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These two actions are the defining marks of every genuine Christian. Genuine Christians confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, meaning they're not ashamed of him, and they believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. Those of you who claim to be a follower of Jesus, examine your own life. Do those two things on the bottom of the screen there, do those describe you? Have you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Do you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? If you claim to be a Christian but never tell others that Jesus is your Lord, if you claim to be a Christian but don't really believe in the resurrection, according to verse 9, you better check your salvation. Now, the reason that I chose this passage this morning is because of the emphasis that Paul puts on the resurrection. Verse 9 clearly states that salvation is bestowed upon those who believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, verse 10 teaches that this belief is essential to obtaining the righteousness of God. One might ask the question, why does it really matter? Why does it matter that much? Why why does someone have to believe? Have you ever thought about this? Why does someone have to believe that Jesus literally not just metaphorically or spiritually, but literally, bodily, rose from the dead in order to be a Christian. Why is it not enough to believe that Jesus was a good teacher or that he was a prophet sent by God and and just leave it at that? Here's why. Here's why the resurrection matters. First, the resurrection proves that Jesus truly was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. Now, if Jesus stayed dead, he's just another in a long line of liars and lunatics who claimed to be someone they were not. But if he was resurrected, as we know he was, he is indeed Lord, and he is Savior of the world. Second, the resurrection proves that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of his son as the payment for our sin. The psalmist prophesied centuries before Christ that the soul of the Holy One would not be left in Sheol, would not be left, in other words, in the grave. 
Thus, when God raised Jesus from the dead, it proved that he was that holy one prophesied in the Psalms, that he was without sin and that his sacrifice was accepted by God on our behalf. If Jesus had sinned, he never would have been raised from the dead. It proved that he was sinless and spotless. Third, the resurrection of Christ proves that one day his followers will be resurrected to eternal life as well. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus is the first man to ever raise from the dead and never die again. But he won't be the last. Those who have trusted in Jesus will also be resurrected at his return, given new glorified bodies that will never get sick, that will never grow old. And we can put our hope in this future resurrection because Jesus was resurrected and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you and me as followers of Christ. For all these reasons, believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead is essential to salvation. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith also is empty. It's pointless. It's meaningless. And that passage goes on to say, if in this life only we have hope in Christ. In other words, if there is no resurrection, we are of all men the most pitiable. Did you catch that? Paul said, if the resurrection didn't actually happen, Christians should be pitied because we've fallen for the greatest hoax that the world has ever known. But if the resurrection did happen, and we believe with all of our hearts that it did, there's no way to put to words the joy that awaits us. Verse 11 says, whoever believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you putting your faith in him for salvation? Are you trusting in his righteousness and not your own? If not, you can put your faith in Jesus today. You can leave here a child of God with the righteousness of Christ being assured of your salvation. Let's read more about that in our last two verses. Verses 12 and 13. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now just a quick note here. The, the Roman church to which Paul is writing is multi-ethnic. It's comprised of both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. And Paul just makes the point here very simply. Look, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. Jew or Greek, black or white, young or old, rich or poor, you can plug in whatever you want there. It doesn't matter to God. He is the same Lord over them all and he is rich in mercy, it says, to whoever calls on him for salvation. As verse 13 says, whoever, the King James says, whosoever 
calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please save me. He will hear you and he will save you and he will give you eternal life. What a wonderful promise that is. As we come to a point in the service now where we're going to have a time of response to God's word, I want you to remember, and listen for just another minute or two here, remember Jesus is not hiding. He's not hiding. He's not hard to find. We don't have to ascend into the heavens. We don't have to descend into the abyss. He's here right now in the form of his Holy Spirit. And he stands ready to save you and live within you and impute his righteousness to you. Won't you call upon his name? At this time, we're going to have a song of response. I'm going to ask the musicians, if they would, to come forward. And if you're here today and you're ready to follow Jesus, the Bible teaches if we'll admit we're a sinner that we have sinned against God, that we need a Savior, if we'll believe with all of our heart that God, that Jesus gave his life on the cross and that God raised him from the dead, and if we'll commit ourself, our, our life, fully to surrender to him, to follow him, to acknowledge him as Lord, that God will save us, that he will give us eternal life. And as we've learned today, there are two marks of a genuine follower of Jesus. Number one is belief in your heart. But that second one is what we're dealing with now. And that is confession with our mouth. And so what I would encourage you to do this morning, if you're here and you're ready to give your life to Christ, you're here and you do believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that he rose again. You want to give yourself to him. Come during this song of response. Take me by the hand, say, Josh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And together, we'll make public confession of that. I'll I'll be right here by your side. And you can confess Jesus with your mouth in front of all the believers here. And you can say, Jesus is Lord. And I want him to be my Lord. And they'll rejoice with you and they'll celebrate with you. All right? Let's stand. Let's have our song of response.